Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. Soaring rents have made the Tampa Bay and Sarasota areas, which were once relatively cheap places to live, into some of the most expensive places to reside in the state. And for those looking to escape the cycle of rising rents, buying a home is becoming increasingly out of reach for many people. In Tampa Bay, the typical home value is over $300,000, up nearly 30% in one year, and median home prices have shattered records in Sarasota and Manatee counties. Take the case of an apartment complex in a low-income area just to the west of the University of South Florida in Tampa. Just about every tenant got an eviction notice without the landlord giving any reason at all. I talked to two people who will soon be out of a place to live, and because of the area's soaring rents, they can't find another apartment they can afford. So in another week, they could be out on the street. First, we'll hear from Eric Watson, and then from Ernest Nelson Jr., who has been in a wheelchair since he was 18. I talked to them at a rally held last week to protest the skyrocketing cost of housing. My name is Eric Watson. I'm 50, just turned 50. What do you do for a living? Landscaping, forming on the landscaping. They gave me a letter 31st of December, which was the last day actually of my year lease that I signed with the last property management. And I asked in November about renewing my lease. They said, yeah, they were, I'll receive documents or documentation or something, some type of notice for a lease renewal. But next thing I know, I end up getting that, the notice on the door with her, with the deputy, putting notices on our door say we have to vacate the premises by January 31st. What reason do they get? No reason at all. They stated on the paper that they don't have to give us any type of reason. And they, they lawfully, they can not, they can just withhold any information about that that they want to. Everybody in there get that notice? Everybody, every, well, mostly everybody, from what I hear, got that same notice. What are you going to do now? It's a big question, right? Uh, yeah. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. They said I can keep the rent for January, which is eight fifty. I'm paying right now, but that's not going to get me anywhere as far as, you know, getting a new place. The rent and, and deposits and everything like that right now is way higher than eight fifty. That's why I moved here, because it was, it was manageable. My name is Ernest Nelson, Jr. I'm 68. Do you live here in this complex? Yes, I do. I've been there for five years. Are they telling you you have to get out as well? Yeah, yeah. they weren't going to renew my lease and they'll be out by the 31st. Why? What's the reason they're giving you? I have no idea. I hear a whole bunch of different things, the water, issues, renovation they probably plan to do. I had heard management say anything. And they haven't given you any choice of staying through all this, right? None whatsoever. What are you going to do now? Good question. <laughs> I don't look, been looking high and low, trying to find something that's affordable for me because I'm on a fixed income. There's nothing out there that I could afford and qualify for. 
What kind of rents are they asking for out there? Whew. At the low end, for a one bedroom, at the low end, twelve. Twelve hundred dollars a month. A month. Period. How much you how much you paying now? Seven fifty. Seven fifty, but I'm sure it was gonna be going up eventually. Seven fifty is something you could afford, right? Twelve can't afford. Ain't no way I could stretch it. If I do somebody ain't gonna get paid. And what are you looking at for twelve hundred? What kind of place is this? Is it halfway nice or is it you know No, 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 not halfway nice. A little bit better than what I have now. Plus I gotta find something that's gonna be pet friendly. I have a service dog. Had him for nine years. Everybody don't want, ain't pet friendly. So I got to, got to find a place for me and him. Social security disability is my only means of income. And you've told this to the landlords here? Know, and oh, they know my condition. They know the problem. They know what it is. Because it's a carryover from one landlord to the next. Like I said, I had five landlords in five years. Five different ones. Now, when you came into this property to begin with, the housing prices were a lot less than they were right now, right? I qualified with no problem. At that point, I made three times the rent. But now, three times the rent, not going to happen for me nowhere out there. You know, you're asking 1200 a month. You know a lot of other people in the same predicament as you? Are worse. Are worse. There's families out here. There's people with children out here that they call home. They got to uproot their kids and just try to find somewhere to live. What are they telling you where they're going to go? They have no idea. They, they, they about like me. And then if you find something, you got to have about between 4000 to 5000 to get in. First month, last, and security deposit. Who got that on hand? First of the year, after Christmas. Who got that? So how is the high cost of housing affecting you? We'd like to hear from you to air your voices during an upcoming show. We've got a forum on our Florida Matters page where it says we want to hear from you. Just click on WUSFnews.org and then click on Shows Florida Matters. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Florida Matters. We're talking about the problem of affordable housing with Ann Ray, manager of the Florida Housing Data Clearinghouse at the University of Florida's Schimberg Center for Housing Studies, and Elizabeth Strom, an associate professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of South Florida. Welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. All right, so we'll get to what can be done about the high cost of living in a bit, but first I'd like to gauge how bad the problem is. Now, the average rent in the Tampa Bay area uh, has skyrocketed skyrocketed to nearly $2,000. That's up nearly 30% in one year alone. And the median price of a home is well north of $300,000. The average home prices have shattered records in Sarasota and Manatee counties. So first, I'd like to ask you both, what is driving these increases? So this is Anne from the Schimberg Center. We've been tracking home prices in particular and also rents more recently. And I think what we're seeing is a continuation and an acceleration of patterns that we were already seeing before the pandemic. And not just in the Tampa Bay area, but statewide and even nationwide. So home prices throughout the state and certainly in the Tampa Bay area have really come back up to corrected for inflation about where they were in the early years of the housing boom. 
2004 throughout the state, um, even up to the 2006 level in Pinellas County. Um, so without this prospect of a housing crash anywhere soon, we're seeing those high home prices. And that, of course, puts pressure on the rental market, too, as people who might have bought a home um, are staying in the houses, that, the places that they're renting. We've seen a lot of development of luxury rental housing and luxury homes, but we really haven't seen the kind of starter homes and starter apartments that you might expect at exactly the time when this bulge of the millennial generation is forming their households, they're entering their peak home buying years, and the housing stock just isn't there. Now, we've heard anecdotes about the COVID uh, crisis is, you know, people can work out of their homes. They don't have to go into work anymore, a lot of them. So they can move anywhere. So we're having perhaps a deluge of people coming from higher income, higher rent, higher medium cost of living places like the Northeast, upper Midwest, California, coming here. And to them, these kind of housing prices are nothing, right? That's a lot less than what they're used to as well. Yes, we've heard that that's you know, more anecdotal at this point. We don't have the sort of uh, more reliable data that Anne is talking about. Um, but there has been a big increase in the Florida population just since 2020 when the census was taken. I read that we uh, got another 220,000 residents in the state, which is sort of like getting a new Orlando every year. Um, and they have to go somewhere. And the Tampa Bay area is considered more affordable than South Florida. Um, and so I think anecdotally, we can say that there are people who are relocating here uh, who maybe would have stayed put if not for the pandemic. Is there any sign, you, you all mentioned just a minute ago, there, there there was a correction when the housing prices went to these kind of levels a few years ago before the Great Recession. Any signs of, you know, the bubble bursting or is that more a question for economists? This is Anne. It does, doesn't seem like the fundamental problems that we we're seeing in the housing bubble where home prices in certain places were going up very rapidly, where people were taking out loans that they couldn't afford when there was this flood of financing and some of that very predatory financing. We're not seeing those signs. I think the market has bifurcated somewhat. Some um, households, particularly white collar workers who were able to work to, to move to remote work, have done relatively well financially during the pandemic. Um, so there's not that weakness that might imply that people are trying to get into homes that they can't afford. But again, that makes things really tough for people on the lower end who are working the kind of service jobs that you know Florida creates in great numbers, um, where the cost just, it wasn't enough to afford housing before, and it certainly isn't now. This is Elizabeth, if I could just um, add on top of that, I think Anne's absolutely right. We're not seeing that kind of, of instability in the credit market, but people are more and more stretching to be able to afford a home or afford an apartment. And I think that will lead to some problems down the road with foreclosures. We already see it with evictions. And so even though we don't have this sort of like rumbling earthquake about to hit us as we did in 2008, I do think that there will be some corrections and it will be messy and uncomfortable for people who can't afford their housing. All right, and tell me about the uh, the Florida Housing Data Clearinghouse. Uh, just tell our listeners what you all do and, you know, if you're seeing anything really unusual right now in the market. So um, the Florida Housing Data Clearinghouse is a project of the Schimberg Center. Um, the Schimberg Center was established in 1988 to serve as the state's affordable housing research arm. Um, so since the year 2000, we've produced the Florida Housing Data Clearinghouse. It's a free online um, service. You can go to schimberg.ufl.edu and click Data Clearinghouse, and you can learn about affordable housing needs in your community, home prices, what kind of housing stock is out there. And really, I think the thing that we've seen that's, that struck me 
is the continued number of both homeowners and renters in particular who are paying more than 30% of their income for their housing. We've seen the increase in home prices, not just in the cities and not just in our higher end areas, but really a change in affordability throughout the region. So in Pasco County and Hernando and some of the unincorporated areas, that's the places where, again, you can trace home prices on our website and you can see that we're really back up to the boom years, particularly in areas that maybe saw had relatively affordable housing stocks before you're seeing those sales prices go up. You know, people are complaining about a lack of housing, but when I go around driving out there in the area, I am seeing new housing popping up everywhere. Even in more urbanized areas, the infill of all the empty lots is going is going crazy. You're seeing houses put up on lots that were empty for years. And in the suburban areas where huge apartment complexes going up just about everywhere. So is it a problem of a lack of housing or a lack of affordable housing? Well, can I say both? Uh, because we definitely, we need to increase the supply at all levels. I think that, that there's no benefit for low-income people if we have a tight housing market, even at the highest levels. Um, so we need to increase supply, period. But then the market doesn't really easily produce housing that is affordable for people, let's say, at 50% of median income or, or below. Um, and so then we also need special attention to what helped developers need or nonprofits need to develop specifically targeted affordable housing. So I think all of the above. So let's talk about some of those those uh, options that are available out there. Uh, do you think it's going to take maybe more government interference, for lack of, uh, lack of a better word, to kind of coerce or convince builders to include affordable housing in there? Or what is, what is the, really the solution right now, if there is a solution? This is Anne. The way I'd like to look at it is the idea of building a local affordable housing system. And the, the good news is we have ways to do that. And whether you want to call it government interference, it's a combination of support from the private sector and public sector support with some government subsidy, with assistance, with the kind of local housing programs that um, both Hillsborough and Pinellas County have taken on to fund themselves and also with um, assistance from the State Housing Trust Fund, our Sadowski funds. We can create affordable rental housing where both rents and incomes are limited, that uh, that more approach the housing that's affordable for people making $15, $16, $18 an hour, which is the median wage for the area. We can also provide home ownership opportunities through down payment assistance, through the construction of affordable subdivisions. So we can provide those starter units and those affordable units. It just takes that additional support to make the numbers work. This is Elizabeth, Steve, if I can add on to that, I think we don't want to have the misperception that any housing is built without government presence. Uh, you know, we have deductions for property taxes and uh, mortgage interest. You know, we have the federal government involved in the mortgage market. But we have local government involved in zoning regulations. So government at all levels is deeply involved in producing housing and in ensuring that people can buy housing. And so the question is just, how are we going to use those tools and levers to produce housing for people at all incomes? All right. I'd like to just kind of wrap up here. And any final thoughts on the issue about the extent of the problem or any possible solutions? Uh, Liz, I'll start with you. Well, I would say that we have to realize that it's a very multifaceted problem and we need lots of solutions. I sometimes hear sort of debates between people who say we should build more housing and debates between people saying, no, we don't want to build more luxury housing. We need more attention to the needs of the lower income 
population. And it's really all of the above. We need to loosen up zoning so we can build more. We need more subsidies. We need everything because the housing market has to be there for people at all income levels. And so there's really nothing that should be off the table. And To build on that, I think we learned some things through this difficult experience we've been through with the pandemic about how to provide housing assistance to people. We got emergency rental assistance out. We looked at preventing evictions. We halted evictions while people were able to get so that people could get that assistance. We provided different kinds of emergency assistance and started to look at how to support people um, in their housing. And also, we've at least been talking about housing as part of the infrastructure that we're trying to build. So I really hope we take what we've learned and the capacity that we've built during the pandemic and we carry that forward to deal with some of those long-term systemic housing issues. Thank you very much. Ed Ray is manager of the Florida Housing Data Clearinghouse at the University of Florida's Schimberg Center for Housing Studies. And Elizabeth Strom is an associate professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of South Florida. Thank you very much for being on Florida Matters. Thank you. Thank you. So rents in St. Petersburg and Tampa were some of the fastest growing in the nation last year, and some cities are taking action to do something about it. Uh, Gina Driscoll is chair of the St. Petersburg City Council. Welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you. It's great to be here. A recent study shows that about one-third of households in St. Petersburg are paying about one-third of their income for housing. Do you think that's too much? standard is that no more than 30% of your income should be spent on your on your housing. So our goal is to ensure that we have options for everyone to be able to live here and and you know pay rent that's within those parameters. Of course, with the the rents skyrocketing the way that they are in the Tampa Bay area, that's become more and more difficult. And uh, St. Petersburg has taken action recently to address the problem. Um, one of the issues that has come up is, is rent control, which is kind of a, a loaded term, I guess, for some people. Tell me what's going on with that and how you feel about what's being proposed. We had a, a request in December for city staff and our city attorney's office to take a look at um, the option of declaring a housing state of emergency, which would open the door for us to put some restrictions on rents in our city. Um, what was proposed by, uh, by the public was that we take a look at that and possibly put that into place for one year to help stabilize the market a little bit. That is something that we will be discussing soon. We don't have a date certain for that discussion. I think city staff is still doing their research, but I'm looking forward to having that discussion because I want to know what our legal options are. Of course, rent control is preempted by the state, so we're limited on what we can do. But at this point, with the crisis that we're in, the real housing crisis that we're in, I'm willing to look at every option on the table. It doesn't necessarily mean that we will or can do all of these things, but I certainly want to have that discussion. Well, some people are talking about rent stabilization, like you just mentioned, um, which uh, I believe puts caps on the amount that landlords can increase their rent every year. Do you think that's a, a viable option that might pass the council? My understanding is, is that rent control has the cap on it 
but rent stabilization is just a limit on how much it can be increased each year, but there's not that cap. So that would be another option that we could look at. It's a little bit less restrictive for landlords. We have to keep in mind that many of the folks who own properties that they rent out are you know, individual property owners who use that as their income. So one thing we have to be careful about is making sure that we don't hurt some of our residents by helping others. The landlords have been through quite a struggle over the last couple of years themselves with the eviction moratorium, with the restrictions that were placed on them during the, the darkest days of the pandemic, if you will. You know, we want to make sure that those folks are able to pay the bills too, because regardless of, you know, whether or not someone is paying rent, they still have to pay that mortgage. They still have to pay the insurance and the taxes and maintenance. So we want to make sure that we're taking care of them as well, you know, finding that balance to help our many renters who are out there too. Well, yeah, as you know, rent control has been uh, used in many bigger cities uh, for decades now. And there's been a little controversy about that. It's been blamed for creating a, a disincentive for landlords to do maintenance, upgrades, that sort of thing, as well as uh, not giving them an incentive to build more more housing. Um, is That's something that you're also going to take into consideration, I would imagine. Yes, I've done some research on that, and I found that in, in some cities that is happening where rental units can fall into disrepair because there's no incentive for a landlord to keep up the property. Then also some might decide that it's just not worth it and they'll sell instead. That actually reduces the amount of rental inventory that we have in St. Petersburg. So we don't want those unintended consequences, no matter how we move forward. There's also a move to end what's called exclusionary zoning. Usually it requires single, only sing, single family homes to be built in an area. But as you know, when you start tinkering with those kind of zoning regulations, the, the NIMBYs come out, the not in my backyard people. You know, they don't want the quality of their neighborhoods affected, that sort of thing. So that's, is that being looked at? I mean, that might be a tough nut to crack in some neighborhoods. Absolutely. We are not only looking at that, but we are moving forward with that plan. Um, that's something that I expect that we'll have uh, moving forward in city council within the next few months. And that would be, you know, expanding the zoning for small density increases, duplexes, triplexes, quads that could be built in traditionally single family home neighborhoods. You do get pushback from folks who want everything to stay the way that it is. But at this point, with our growing city, everybody's got to give a little. And the key is all in the design. If you can build a residential building with four units in it, in the middle of a single family home residence, and the way that it's designed makes it blend in with the neighborhood, then there's really nothing that, that makes it harm the character of the neighborhood. St. Petersburg has very distinct neighborhoods with you know, wonderful, unique qualities. And we definitely want to preserve that. But at the same time, we want to get rid of the old fashioned zoning that doesn't really meet our goals or our values that we have today. Well, you're talking about, uh, you know, a changing city. Anybody who's been in St. Petersburg in the last few years has noticed these huge apartment towers going up everywhere downtown. Um, 
so these are aimed at a more high-end clientele. So maybe the problem isn't so much a lack of housing, but a lack of affordable housing. Right. The the increase in density that we're seeing right now that's happening downtown is a because of popularity, and with that, you know, we have it's just supply and demand. You know, we can't build fast enough. But downtown is one of the only areas where you can truly build at that level of density. So that's why I wanna look at what can we do in other neighborhoods where it makes sense? What can we do to make those small increases citywide that um, can help to increase the inventory? Right now, downtown is, the, is one of the only places where you can do that increase. So that's what we're seeing. And then of course, downtown has become such a popular place to be um, I live downtown myself, not in one of the expensive condos, but I do live downtown. And, you know, being able to live in a walkable neighborhood with access to so many amenities and have that quality of life is something that is in very high demand and people are willing to pay top dollar for it. That's where you have to kind of let the market do its thing. But at the same time, we look around and say, where do we, where do we repeat that success in other parts of the city where it makes sense to do so. Well, maybe one of the market-oriented solutions is to allow higher densities in some of these new towers being built in exchange for setting aside a portion of them for affordable units. Is that looked at as well? We do have that um, as one of the one of the requirements when a developer wants to increase density or do a, a higher floor area ratio. But in lieu of that, they have the option to make a payment, which is a percentage of the construction cost, into our affordable housing fund so that we can use that funding to build affordable housing elsewhere. That is what the vast majority of developers choose to do. The problem that we have is that that amount that they end up paying is not very high. However, recently I was able to work with city staff and bring forward to city council and pass an increase in that percentage. So now it's calculated differently and we're collecting about double what we were before. So that just got into place in December. So future developments that come our way, if they choose to pay in lieu of creating affordable housing, then they'll be paying in a lot more. So we're hoping that that's going to help move the needle. That helps us create housing in, in other neighborhoods throughout the city, and it helps us achieve that balance. So it's just another tool that we have in our toolbox. There seems to be a big groundswell here of support for this right now with the, with the rents just skyrocketing in the area. Well, do you, do you think that that, that public opinion is going to help move the needle on action being taken pretty soon? I believe it will. It's really the very top issue that we're facing today. It's the number one thing people are talking about when I'm out talking with our residents. And as long as we continue to have those strong voices, those strong, reasonable voices who want to talk about real solutions and see action from their city, we're going to be successful in the long run because that helps to keep us going. It's, um, it's a great motivator. And it's nice to have that support from the public as we work on creating more solutions. 
Uh, Gina Driscoll is chair of the St. Petersburg City Council. Thank you very much for your insight. Thank you for being on Florida Matters. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. We'd like to hear from you on how the high cost of housing is affecting you. We've got a forum on our Florida Matters webpage where it says we want to hear from you. Just click on WUSFnews.org and then click on Shows Florida Matters. You might just get a chance to hear your voice on a future show. I'm Steve Newborn. Our producer is Denora Prevost. We'll catch you next week on our next edition of Florida Matters.